Amen. My mother still loves to tell the story of how when I was five years old, I would walk home the mile or so from school at the end of a tough day of kindergarten. And when I get, would get there, when I'd get home, I would sit on the curb in the front of our house and cry because I was so tired after such a long walk for what was then very short legs. I was so happy to finally be home. I would just sit on that curb and cry. I have to say, as I have got older, I continue to believe how fortunate I have been that the many times in my life when on the journey of my life I seemed tired or felt I was going through a difficult time or a challenging time, it still always felt good to be home again. That didn't stop when I was five, and it continues to be the case even today. I don't necessarily sit outside on the curb and cry, but in a way I do at times. Now this does not happen to be the case for Jesus, it seems like. That good feeling about coming home again. We hear uh, Barbara read from the sixth chapter of Mark that Jesus goes home again and he begins to preach. And people are astounded, but not in a good way. They wonder, wait a second, where did he get this from? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and the rest? Who does he think he is? It's hard when we change or want to change. And people seem to not allow us to. Thomas Wolfe wrote a book entitled once, You Can't Go Home Again. Now, of course, you can, but there's always someone there who knew you when you were growing up, who knew you when you can fill in your own blank. Some of us have bigger blanks than others. Past that might have been more difficult or more troubled, filled with more challenges. If we've had positive change in our lives, some people who knew us when have a hard time respecting and affirming that change. And it's the same for us. We all know people who seemingly have come a long way in their lives, who have changed their ways. Are we able to see that new light that shines within them? Or is it too much trouble for us to recalibrate our impressions? Will we like to remember someone just the way they were? This is what Jesus faces. 
in this, these are some of my favorite scripture passages, these two. He's amazed at people's unbelief. That they could be so blind to this good news that he comes to share. He fails at getting them to see this new light that shines so brightly within him. This passage, which follows so closely behind these mighty acts of Jesus, like calming a storm or uh, the healings, bringing a little girl back to life, this passage, in a sense, brings Jesus back to earth. And in a real sense, brings Jesus back to us. To be one of us. You know, our world loves success stories. Yet as most of us know, at some time in our lives, most of us know what it means to fail. What it means to lose. What it means to be weak. What it means to be frustrated what it means for things not to work out the way we planned. And through this story, we can take heart. Whatever failure we've faced in our lives of mor morality, of relationship, of commitment, of hope, of vision, we have to listen to this clear advice that Jesus offers to each one of us. Don't give up. Get up from whatever has caused you to stumble and don't give up. A little later on in this story, Christ tells his disciples, if you read it, Jesus tells his disciple, you, you, you know when this sort of thing that's just happened to me happens to you, leave and shake the dust off your feet. When you face failure, he tells them and he tells us, don't let it cling to your heels. Shake the dust off and go boldly into a new future. Go with a sense of boldness, no matter what failure, no matter what loss, no matter what weakness you're coming out of. This is the advice of Christ. None of us are perfect, but all of us can move onward from our imperfection toward a closer relationship with Christ. This is what Wesley, the founder of Methodism, meant when he said, going on to perfection. All of us can move forward in our relationship with Christ. Look at Paul. He writes in this letter to the Corinthians about this thorn in his flesh that afflicts him, this ailment he has, whatever it is, no one is really sure what it actually was. But it reminds him that he can never be too boastful, that he can never be too high on himself. It's a reminder of his imperfection, of his frailty, of his faults, of his struggles. We all need a thorn like this. Actually, as I think about it, Sarah fills this job for me pretty well. Anytime I kind of start thinking how wonderful I am, she's very good at reminding me of my thorniness. 
We need to be there for each other, calling out our thorniness in each other, whatever it might be. Reminding ourselves what it means to be a child of God, not high and mighty. We have a God that's high and mighty. Not all fulfilled, not self-fulfilling. We have a God that's all-fulfilling. I appreciate it when I'm reminded of my thorniness because listen to what Paul says about his affliction. He pray affliction, he prays to the Lord, he says first that it might be gone. He prays not one time, not two times. He prays three times. And for any of us who've had things in our life that remind us of our failings or our imperfections, we too have probably prayed three times, maybe a hundred and three times, maybe a thousand and three times, that those failings might be removed from us. But what does Paul say that God says to him? My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. Now what in the world does that mean? Power is made perfect in weakness. Certainly, this idea was not what made Arnold Schwarzenegger and John Wayne the stars that they were. Independent men and women of today, it's more like power is made perfect in more power. That's what we hear and read about in the media, so much so that we begin to lose touch with God. We begin to believe that we are self-fulfilling in our own right. We gain fulfillment in our own glory, we believe, and not in God's glory. And it seems like this same sort of thing was happening long ago. This is exactly what Paul is trying to pull everyone, including us, from, back from this notion, asking people to give up that sense of independence and to accept a dependence on God. Paul goes on with this sort of strange logic. He says, So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. What sort of topsy-turvy idea is this? I will boast, I will boast more gladly of my weaknesses. seems upside down, and isn't this exactly the point of Christianity? It is topsy-turvy. It is radical stuff. When the world says boast, the world says boast of your greatness, boast of your wisdom, boast of your beauty, boast of your independence, boast of your self-sufficiency. But there's Christ 
and there's Paul, and here is Christianity that says, boast, boast gladly of your weakness, boast gladly of your failures, boast gladly of your struggles. And the point is, of course, it is in your weaknesses, it is in admitting your weaknesses that there is strength, not your own strength, because that's going to fail you. Not your own strength, but in admitting your weaknesses, you find the strength that is the only strength that will carry you from that weakness to a new beginning, a new possibility, a new light, a strength that comes only from God. You know, one of the wonderful things about going home again is not just the home cooking, it's that when we get there, not only is it returning to our roots, returning to our past, to our foundation, but it's also a place where we can go to regroup. It's a place where we can go to be refreshed, where we can be renewed, where we can find new beginnings. Ideally. Within a family, that's the case. And ideally, within a church family, within a church home, that needs to be the place. We should all be able to come home again with whatever baggage that we might have and leave it behind. Shake it off and begin again afresh and renewed. This is what Christ calls us to be as the church. To accept the possibilities of change within ourselves and within others. To accept the possibility of change within our church and within our community and within our world. To believe in the work of a spirit moving within us. To allow new life. Because all of us have some sort of thorniness in our lives. All of us have some sort of thorniness, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, whatever it might be, things that jab at our lives, things that puncture our happiness, things that cut away at our joy. We have to know, we have to have faith that we're not alone in that suffering. We're not alone in those thorny times of our lives. That we can come to God who in Christ knows what it's like to suffer. And thank God in Christ, in this passage at least, God knows what it's like to fail. And yet who in Christ offers us new life, offers us another chance. As a body of Christ today, as the body of Christ in this place, at this time today, let us always be a place of forgiveness and a place of renewal, a place of love, a people and a place that believes that in all it does shows truly that it believes whenever we risk being weak, we are strong. Whenever we go through difficult times, we have a strength within us because we feel it through ourselves and through others who hold on to us, 
will allow us to know we are not alone in this struggle, who have others who have gone through struggles before and who go through struggles again, who somehow come together, who feed each other, yes, at picnics, but also nourish and nurture each other in ways that bind us together in a harmony, in a rhythm in life that has its ups and downs, that has its valleys and its mountaintops, that has its welcomes and its goodbyes, but through it all has a God who knows who you are and who I am because he sent a son for us, a child for us, to offer us new life, fresh starts. We need to remind each other of that. We need to hold on to that. It's ours today, it's ours tomorrow, and it's ours forever. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come together to search to find strength in the Spirit, to be strengthened for the journey ahead. We come before you and cry out, we know right now that within this place and certainly surrounding this church, there are people today who are crying out, who, don't, who feel like they don't have what it takes, who feel like they have nowhere to turn, who feel unnourished and displaced, Allow them to know through you and through us, through this church and its open doors and its open hearts and its open minds that this is a place of nourishment, that this is a place of welcome, this is a place that surrounds each other for the journey. Great is our hopefulness. Great is our hopefulness. We pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's join together in our next hymn on page 2197 of the Faith We Sing hymnal. The Lord of all hopefulness. Amen. 